We're going to read the Bible now. We've been digging into Jeremiah and we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 7. So why don't you read that with me? This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through the gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a, den of, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. I will thrust you from my presence, just as I did all your fellow Israelites, the people of Ephraim. So do not pray for this people, nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. Do, not see what they, do you not see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough and make cakes to offer to the Queen of Heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to arouse my anger. But am I the one they are provoking, declares the Lord? Are they not rather harming themselves to their own shame? Therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says, My anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, on man and beast, on the trees of the field and on the crops of your land and it will burn and not be quenched. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backwards and not forwards. From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you, my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. When you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore, say to them, This is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Cut off your hair and throw it away. 
Take up a lament on the barren heights, for the Lord has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under his wrath. The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Topeth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topeth or the, or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter, for they will bury the dead in Topeth until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of bride and bridegroom in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For the land will become desolate. My dentist said enamel should be great on the outside and on the inside. Go Pro with Oral B Pro Health. It's formulated with active strength technology that strengthens enamel on the inside. Plus, it protects the outside from erosion. Go Pro with Oral B Pro Health. No, church isn't having ads anymore. Oral B is not brought to the Tunnel Bible Church is not brought to you by Oral B. Although kids, if you're watching, it's a good idea to brush your teeth when your parents say three times a day. And I do feel strangely like having an apple after that ad. And the apple actually is the perfect illustration of what they're getting at, isn't it? Something can look fantastic on the outside, but on the inside be all rotten and nasty. We've all had that experience, haven't we? You bite into the sweet juicy, firm apple, and all you get is a mouthful of slime. We've all been there. The tooth that's shiny and white and hard on the outside, but on the inside, it's all eaten out with decay. Just be thankful I didn't show you a real picture of tooth decay there. This week I looked on Google, and can I say, I'm now a fan of flossing. Or you go to buy a car. And lurking underneath that shiny paintwork is the cancer of rust, basically every car Pete Witt has ever bought. Or you move into that lovely new house, and it's got the beautiful shiny floorboards, but underneath termites have eaten everything away. We've all had that experience of something looking fantastic on the outside, and I guess we've all experienced that with people as well, haven't we? The pretty face that hides the ugly heart, the smooth, plausible words that hide dishonest intent. We're kind of used to people being different on the inside to that nice shiny exterior, aren't we? And today we're going to see that that can be true spiritually. Sometimes that passionate religious exterior, doing all the right things and saying all the right words, doesn't actually mean a real relationship with God. We'll see it with Israel. We may see it with ourselves as well. See, one of the things you might have realized so far is that on the surface, Judah in Jeremiah's day looked fantastic. Everything was actually going great in Judah. So just have a look in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. 
See, from our, from our first few weeks, you might have thought that Judah, Israel at this point, were completely irreligious, that totally abandoned God, total godlessness. That's not true at all. God sends Jeremiah to the temple gates because that's where all the people are. People are flocking to the temple to worship God. They're offering their sacrifices. They're listening to the law being read. Judah is really religious. And they actually have a fantastic king. I don't know if you can remember the first few verses of Jeremiah, but Josiah is the king at this point. And just have a look at the kind of king Josiah was. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. You see, Judah was, uh, Josiah was a good king. He was just like King David. He did right in the eyes of the Lord. And he, rather than letting the temple go into decline, he was one who oversaw the the renovating of the temple. He made it great again. He made it a place fit for God. And when they rediscovered the book of the law, probably the book of Deuteronomy in the temple, and when Josiah read it, he tore his robes and he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me. And for the people and for all Judah about what's written in this book that's been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who've gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They've not acted in accordance with all that's written there concerning us. See, Josiah was a great king. At this point, on the surface, you would never guess that Judah was anything but God's passionate people. The temple is open. The sacrifices are being offered. The law is being read. The king is a good man. The nation is prosperous. They are the bright, crisp, shiny green apple on the outside. On the inside, Jeremiah says they're rotten to the core. With all their temple worship and all their sacrifices and law reading, underneath, this is a people who are absorbed with idolatry and corruption. Have a look at what God says to them in Jeremiah 7 verse 3. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, You are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching declares the Lord. 
How damning is that? Do you see what Israel are like? They're so religious. They're so outwardly pious. But as soon as they leave the temple, in their business, they're cheating each other. In their society, they're, they're treading down the poor, the orphans, the widows, the foreigners. They're stealing from each other. They're committing adultery. And then on top of that, as soon as they leave God's temple, they go and worship other gods like Baal. You see, Judah looks so religious, so respectable, so devout on the surface. But underneath, their hearts are rotten to the core. Because the thing we all know that this is not a new story, right? The people, the religious people in Jesus' day were exactly the same. In fact, Jesus even quotes this passage, doesn't he? In Matthew, when Jesus drives all the merchants out of the temple, he says, it's written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. See, Jesus quotes Jeremiah because... The people in his day were just the same. They were in God's temple and, and they looked like they were helping people to worship God, but really it was all about greed. Just like Jesus said to the leaders of his day, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Same kind of image, isn't it? Same kind of behavior. They're whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, so righteous, so religious, but on the inside, full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You see, this is an old, old story. And it's actually one of the great dangers of outward signs of worship, isn't it? The temple, sacrifices, reading the law, going to church, joining a ministry team. We can do all the actions. We can tick all the boxes. We can be born into a Christian family and be baptized. We can be members of church. We can go to church. And faithfully to growth group every week, we can be part of a ministry team. We can be pastors or elders, growth group leaders. And never have it touch our hearts at all. Never actually love God at all. Never obey him and feel his word or care about pleasing him at all. In fact, all those outward signs can actually deceive us. Just have another look in Jeremiah 7 verse 4. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You see, just having that outward expression of Christianity, of religion and worship can deceive me. It can fool me into thinking that what's going on in my heart and life doesn't matter. Because I have Hunter Bible Church, Hunter Bible Church, Hunter Bible Church. It's not quite as catchy, is it? But I have baptism, baptism, baptism. I have ministry, ministry, ministry. 
I have the fact that I've called myself a Christian for 40 years. I gave to the building fund. My kids are Christian. They've all gone off into ministry. Everyone knows my reputation. So does it really matter that my heart is filled with bitterness towards someone? Does it really matter that my computer is filled with porn that nobody sees but me? That my mouth is full of lies and gossip? I turn up on a Sunday. Of course, I don't even have to do that now, do I? I just have to tune in. Look down in verse 9, Jeremiah 7. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? You see, it's almost as if it doesn't matter that they do those things, that they commit murder and adultery. They're safe. They're on bar. Remember bar from when we were kids playing catch, playing tips? I'm on bar. I'm safe because I have this outward show of religion. Now, of course, we here at Under Bible Church, we're immune from all of this sort of thing, aren't we? Because when you think about it, we don't really have many outward shines of religion, many outward expressions. I mean, we've got church, but it's not very formal, is it? And we don't do things like mass. We don't have confession and, and penance. Religions like Roman Catholicism, they have lots of expressions of religion, but evangelical churches like ours, like Hunter Bible Church, we're stripped back. We just have the Bible. We're Bible people. And so, of course, we're not going to fall into their outward show kind of trap, are we? Just have a look in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8, and see what he says. How can you say we are wise for we have the law of the Lord when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? The wise will be put to shame. They'll be dismayed and trapped since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I'll give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. See, simply possessing the word of the Lord doesn't make us wise. Just having Bible in our name does not make us Bible people. If it doesn't reach our hearts, if it doesn't transform our lives, if we're still greedy for gain, if we still practice deceit. You see, we here at Hutton Bible Church are in as great a danger as anyone else. Do you think you knowing the order of the books of the Bible really impresses God? Or when someone says, where is that bit of the Bible that talks about people suppressing the truth? And you can say in a flash, that's Romans chapter one. Do you think that really impresses God? That you can explain how the sovereignty of God and human responsibility fit together? 
that you can critique postmodernism, that you know how to put an inflaming post on Facebook, that you have every time with God ever published, lined up neatly on a shelf. Do you think any of that ever impresses God? Makes up for your cruel treatment of people or your prayerlessness? No, simply having the word of the Lord means nothing. Judah found the law in the temple under Josiah's reign. It was read in the temple courts. But it didn't make Judah wise. Now, of course, the really uncomfortable thing about Jeremiah is the teachers are actually the ones most to blame. See verse 10, he says, prophets and priests alike. They're the two people who handled the word of the Lord. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. You see, the people who were meant to handle the word well, to teach the law, the prophets and the priests, they all practice deceit. And it's interesting the way they do it, isn't it? It's not so much what they do say as what they don't say that is the problem. The people don't want to hear judgment. The people don't want to hear criticism. They don't want to hear words of repentance. What they want to hear is peace. They want to hear that everything's going great. And so that's what these prophets and priests say, right? And I'll tell you, the temptation to do that is just so powerful. The temptation to overlook cultural sin in our church, to not say the hard word, to only focus on the positive. It's so powerful because who wants to be that guy, right? Who wants to be the really negative preacher who upsets people? Who wants people to be angry with them? Not me. I have few enough friends as it is. The last thing I want to do is offend people. Do pray for our pastors. Pray that when our church has real wounds, we won't dress them as if they're not serious. Pray that we won't preach peace when there is actually a problem. Pray that we'll speak truth regardless of what it'll do to our reputation. And look, pray that we'll do it kindly. Pray that we'll do it gently. Sometimes pastors enjoy beating up their congregations, but I'll be honest with you, I don't think that that's likely to be our danger here. I think our danger is we've all been together for so long and God has been so kind. And on the surface, everything looks so great that will overlook the wounds that are there, the wounds in our character, the wounds in our church culture, and that will say peace, peace, when what we should be saying is repent, repent. We need to change. Do pray for our leaders. Do you see Judah's problem? On the outside, everything looks so fantastic, so respectable, so religious, so prosperous, so healthy. Underneath, they're rotten to the core. And so because Israel's heart has been so rotten and wayward, in chapters 7 to 10, God pronounces judgment. There is a lot of judgment 
in Jeremiah 7 to 10. It's pretty heavy reading and the description of bloodshed and judgment at the end of chapter 7 really is harrowing. We won't go through all of it, but there is one description of God's judgment in chapter 7 to 10 that's just so poetic. I, I wanted to show it to you. Come and have a look in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 17. Jeremiah 9, 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider now, call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water stream from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruined. Now you women hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another a lament. Death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. It has removed the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares. There's something so poetic and sad in that passage, isn't there? How ruined we are. How great our shame. Death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. You know what struck me as I was reading this is just how out of keeping the call to wail would have been. Because remember, on the surface, everything looks great. Judah's prosperous, the temple's grand, the law's red. But actually they should be wailing. Because Judah is ruined and death has climbed in the window. What it says is that God is not happy just to have outward religion. God is not happy for us to throw him the scraps of our Sundays and the coins in our pocket. Now, he's a jealous God. He wants our hearts. He wants truth. He wants integrity. And he will even bring a prosperous, respectable nation down in order to get it. Sometimes he'll even bring a church down in order to get it too. I was talking to some friends in our church this week. And we were talking about the danger of reputation. The danger of things looking good and wanting to protect that. The danger of covering up sin because we're afraid of the damage it will do to our reputation. Don't tell people about this scandal in church. Because think of the church's reputation. Think of the damage it would do to the gospel if all this came out. No, we'll deal with it quietly. We'll cover it up. We'll keep it quiet. But God cares more than about we're about more than reputation. He cares about the heart because that's where true worship is. And so look what God says to Judah in chapter 7, verse 21. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. 
For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but gave them this command, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, so that it will go well with you. I love God's language there. I love God's feistiness. Offer your sacrifices if you want, but you eat them. I don't want them. I never really did. Because what God always cared about was their lives, their obedience, not their observance. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to the commands I give you. That's what God wants. Well, look over to chapter 9, verse 23. 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. You see, that's what God values. Not strength, not wisdom, not wealth, all the things that Judah actually seemed to have at this point. But to genuinely know God and to know the things that God loves, kindness, justice, righteousness, they're the things God delights in, not empty sacrifices. Of course, this is one of those reasons why Christians fall in love with Jesus, isn't it? Because, you know, Jesus is everything that Judah wasn't. Jesus really was so obedient, truly obedient to, to God from his heart, wasn't he? He really did know God in justice and righteousness. Jude, Jesus was everything Judah wasn't. I love the part in the book of Hebrews which describes Jesus and says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin, you were not, sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It's written about me in, your scroll, in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, Jesus knew that God wasn't interested in empty sacrifices. God didn't send Jesus to offer sacrifices in the temple. Jesus didn't come to do outward signs of religion. Now God sent Jesus to do his will. And that will was to die. And even though Jesus was terrified, even though he begged his father to take the cup from him, Jesus said those incredible words, yet not what I will, but what you will be done. And Jesus obeyed God. And he went to the cross and he did God's will and he died in our place. And the author of Hebrews says, that's what saved us. What saved us was Jesus doing the will of his father. So I love Jesus because he is everything that Judah wasn't and frankly that I'm not either he really was good to the core 
He was obedient to the core. And you know, the more I learn about my own wayward heart, the more I love his. I am so grateful that God won't judge me on the basis of my heart. He's going to judge me on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. Because that's the thing, isn't it? I know my heart will never actually be pure this side of heaven. I know my heart will never actually be properly obedient this side of heaven. That's one of the reasons we go for outward signs of religion, isn't it? It's because it's easier. It's easier to turn up to church than it is to purify my heart. I can do the outward show. I can turn up to church. I can give. But boy, stop looking at women the wrong way. That's much harder. Be obedient. That's much harder. Thank God Jesus was truly obedient. Thank God that Jesus did God's will and died in my place. Thank God that it's Jesus' obedience God's going to look at, not mine. Because when it all boils down to it, when I look back at my own track record, I'm no better than anyone in Judah. And yet, even as I say that, I'm not exactly the same as the people of Judah, am I? Because I have the great blessing of living on the other side of Jesus' sacrifice, don't I? I live in the time of God's grace. I live in the time of the Holy Spirit who changes my heart so that over time I can begin to obey my God. So I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. You see, I may not be better than any of the people in Judah, but I'm not the same as them anymore either. Because I live after Jesus and Jesus has given me the Holy Spirit, which means that the opposite is happening to me. Instead of looking great on the outside and terrible on the inside, no, my outward body, it's wasting away. Every day, a little bit worse. But inwardly, God is transforming me. He's giving me his character. He's giving me his heart. He's giving me his obedience. He's making me glorious. In chapter 3, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you see what God is doing? Jesus is making me glorious. Inwardly, he's transforming me so that I won't be like the people of Judah anymore. I'm not even like the old me anymore. You see, being a Christian means that we are not condemned to the same kind of life that they lived. We're different we're not condemned to being shiny on the outside and rotten on the inside to a lifetime of hypocrisy. No, Jesus is changing me. And for the rest of my life, he's making me more and more glorious in my character until that wonderful day comes when the transformation will be complete. You are not condemned to being the same person you have always been and making the same mistakes you always made. No more and more. You can be like God on the inside. In fact, that's what Jesus calls us to do. 
Come and look at what Jesus calls us to in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. This passage confuses a lot of Christians because it calls for pretty radical obedience. But actually, it's pretty simple. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says his people are going to be more righteous than the whitewashed tombs of the Pharisees. They're going to be more righteous, actually, than the most righteous people of the day. We tend to think of the Pharisees as bad people, but they weren't. Actually, they were the best of people because they at least were trying to follow God's law. The problem was, as Jesus pointed out, they were whitewashed tombs. They couldn't do it on the inside. Like the rest of Judah, the Pharisees were hypocrites. They obeyed the law on the outside, but on the inside, they broke it in their hearts. But Jesus says his people will surpass that external hypocritical form of righteousness. We really will obey the law. We will obey the law from changed hearts. So look what he says about the law not to murder in verse 21. He says, you've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You see, the law says not to murder. And so the hypocrite, the whitewashed tomb, the shiny apple says, well, that's great. That means I can do everything right up to murder. I can call people names. I can take them to court. I can take revenge. But Jesus says, no. The hearts of my people will be different. We won't just not murder. We won't even get angry. We won't call people fool because our hearts will be different. We'll obey from the law. Down in verse 27, we will obey the command not to commit adultery from the heart. Outward obedience says, okay, I'm not allowed to have sex with this person, but I can look. I can fantasize. I can think about it. I can flirt. I can go right up to the line. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what Judah was doing. But Jesus says, no, my people obey from the heart. We won't just avoid adultery. We'll avoid even looking at a person lustfully. We'll hunger for purity and for righteousness. We'll take drastic steps, chopping off the arm of the hand to be righteous. Down in verse 33, we won't just fulfill our oaths, like the law said, we will be truthful from our hearts. In verse 38, we won't seek justice from our enemies, eye for eye. No, we'll be merciful to our enemies. In verse 43, we'll love our enemies. In verse 48, we will be perfect like our Father. Do you see the kind of people that Jesus calls us to be? We're not like the people of Judah. We're not the shiny apple on the outside that's rotten within. We're not the rust that's just painted over. No, we are the people of the Holy Spirit. We are the people God is renewing day by day to glory. 
And Jesus says, live that changed heart. Live like it. Let's be that kind of church, eh? Let's be different to Judah. Not just settling for the outward sign of religious busyness, but really hungering after God's word, really hungering after God's heart and his righteousness and his goodness. Let's be the people who long to please him who love to please our God. Let's be deeply sincere. Let's be people who know how to repent. See, one of the most damning parts of Jeremiah 7 to 10 is when God says, none of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? Each pursues his own course like a horse, charging into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons and the dove, the swift and the thrush observe their times of migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. Let's not be people like that. Let's be people whose hearts are tender to the word of the Lord. When we hear that challenge to purity, we feel it. And we do something about it. We pray about it. We take radical steps. When someone challenges us, how dare they? When someone challenges us about our priorities, how we spend money or even our parenting, God forbid someone challenge me about my parenting. Let's not get our backs up and charge like the war horse into battle. Now let's be people who stop and ask ourselves really hard questions. Am I pleasing God here? Because we really want to please our Lord. You know, if COVID's good for one thing, it's good for giving us a chance to examine our hearts because just now none of us actually have the outward show, right? We don't have church. Most of us don't have ministry meetings. No one can see my Christian life right now. No one can see whether I love God's word or prayer. I'm on show to nobody. Except the one person who counts. God. Who knows and cares so deeply about the state of my heart. Don't waste this time. Let's search our hearts and ask God, God, please show me where you want me to change. Show me where I need to repent. Show me where my heart's not your heart, where my priorities not your priorities. Help me to care less about what other people see on the outside. Help me to care deeply about what you see on the inside. But let's, let's pray for that now. Our God, we praise you that we're not condemned to the same kind of hypocrisy that Judah was. We know we're prone to it. We know we're attracted to it. That's what so many people think Christians are, hypocrites. We thank you that Jesus died for our hypocritical hearts. 
We thank you that he was truly obedient, perfectly obedient, that he didn't come to offer sacrifices in the temple, but to offer the sacrifice of his obedience, to be truly obedient to you, to die in our place. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that he's, in it, he's at work in us. And sometimes we can't see it. We beat ourselves up because we can't see the change. We pray that you would give us the great encouragement of seeing just how much he is changing us, transforming us day by day from one degree of glory to the next. We pray that we would be the people that Jesus calls us to be in his kingdom. More righteous than the Pharisees who were whitewashed tombs, but truly obedient. That we would treat other people not according to a rule, but according to mercy. That we would look at people of the opposite sex people we're attracted to, not according to a rule, but according to purity. We pray that we would be like you.